Hey everyone, it's Erica and Christian Raphael, and we'd like to welcome you to our backpack, the podcast where we give you the tools to support your personal and professional journey. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of our backpack. I'm super excited about today's episode, not because of the topic, but because we're actually sitting in Christian Suero's apartment. Facts. And it's kind of empty, but we're standing outside. Wait, <laughs> why did I say outside? We're inside, clearly. We're looking outside. <laughs> I'm just captivated, hence why I was confused with us being inside versus outside. Yeah, it's really nice. It's a really lovely view. It's in a nice location down by Navy Yard. Really excited for Christian. It's going to be a good new start and a new journey. Um, it's way better than living on campus. I think anything's better living on campus, though. Y'all Amen. don't. Y'all shouldn't be asking me. But Amen. I think getting to live separate from where you work, I don't know. I think it provides like a new outlook on your job and just provides you with some clarity because you're not always on campus. Mm-hmm. How you feeling? I'm excited, and I think when we are beginning any new chapter, may that be our first full-time employment, our first grad program, or even getting your own first apartment, it's all in relation to transitions. And mm-hmm. when we're thinking about transitions, how do we create a good launching pad for ourselves when we start? So getting an apartment, of course, you gotta look at the apartments on Zillow or Redfin, whichever platform you're using, but then understand your budgeting and your rates and what's included, what's not included, and so forth and so on so i think when we're looking at any transition how do you prepare for that and that's why i'm excited for this episode it's definitely a good step into adulting i mean adulting needs multiple things it just well you know first it just means you being responsible for yourself which is fun but also has like the downside quirks when you means like being responsible for yourself means being responsible for all the finances that come with um, being responsible for yourself. But that's another episode for another time. <laughs> <laughs> this week, we are going to be talking about student leader. You are not in Kansas anymore. It's one of my favorite um, episode titles, only because I think it's like super cute. <laughs> but mainly we're saying, how do you transition from being a student to, you know, being an adult and being a student and then working with students, specifically in like students affairs or in like higher ed. And we've broken today's episode down into three different categories where we talk about three topic areas we think you need to know in terms of like social, cultural, and economic. Now I'm not the best at understanding the definitions of these. um, So I'm gonna let Christian take that over. Absolutely, thanks Erica. So still a student doing my PhD in sociology and one thing we that I'm doing my dissertation on is understanding forms of capital so the best way to describe that describe this I'll talk about it through sociological lenses so social the tips that we're going to give here are going to focus in relation to your network so the people you know the people you should know and etc cultural will focus on what are you what is the knowledge you should be aware of when it comes to the workplace in itself and then the last part's economic. So understanding when it comes to your finances, but also your income, how are you leveraging this in your new chapter? So the first thing we're gonna talk about is informational interviews. And um, 
you know, when I first learned about these, I think I was in like undergrad, but at the point in time, I was like really shy and nervous. And so when people were asking me to like do informational interviews, I was like super scared. I'm like, you want me to just go up to people, you know, whose jobs I think I might want or might be interested in and ask to have coffee with them as in a regular conversation. I was like, this is too much. Like, I'm too scared. Like, I don't even know how to like start those conversations. Um, but now, looking back at it, I think I should have taken more advantage of that when I was an undergrad, and even sometimes in like graduate school, um, just to get to, because I think one of the things that we don't realize when we are students is that people are really interested in like talking to us and like teaching us things and helping us and guiding us. Um, and once you have that practice as a student, it's easier to do that um, once you walk into the workplace, because as a new person, people typically want to get to know you. Um, they want to see what type of new energy is being added to their department and how um, you and them can possibly work together on projects in the department to whether it be to just further the mission of the department mm -hmm. or whether it be to just further your own career and professional development. Um, and when you're going to think about like having these informational interviews in your department, think about getting to know the person that's been in the department the longest and the person who just got there before you. Like, ask most of these people what their experience has been like. And also ask them like how the department has managed to transform culturally over a set span in time. If you know for sure there are people in the department who are like in the positions that you wanna be in, and you're currently in your position using it as a launch pad, you definitely wanna meet and speak with them. And the informational interviews don't have to be like really scary or daunting, like it could be over coffee, like sometimes if you're in an office pace, people typically get coffee or tea in the morning. Mm -hmm. It could be something that you also do over lunch. Um, and it can be anything that you do over drinks at happy hour and if there are ever points in times where you see these things in your department where they have lunches where people come and speak like go to them and try to like see if you can speak to anyone there agreed and echo uh when for the individuals i've supervised and eric and i have supervised graduate students full-time admin faculty staff and for the individuals i've supervised i've always told them to do informational interviews not only with people in the department, but also outside of the department or unit. So using housing residence life as an example, yes, interview the first person that's just been hired within housing residence life, but then also interview the person who's been there the longest, but also explore outside of housing residence life and to the other units that work in, in conjunction with that unit. When you are taking the time to listen to what someone's story, their experiences, it kind of helps you understand a little bit more one what you may experience but then two what to be prepared for and when if you're using informational interviews to understand your career path and where you want to go the more you're listening to how someone's navigating current space in terms of a field the more insight you're going to gain about what that experience can mean for you so i wanted to do sustainable sciences um, and then i did an informational interview and re recognized it wasn't really for me and what i wanted to do and then I ended up in sociology, which has been a great choice, but it all started with a question and an answer. Yeah. Perfect. So with that, that's going to transition to our second point, which is establishing yourself as a knowledgeable voice. And that's not necessarily to mean that you're a content expert, but recognizing that 
you as a human being come in with your own experience and to trust the voice that you have. So I'll give an example. Right now, when it comes to who I am in higher ed, I work in professional development. So staff trainings, staff evaluations, ongoing development, and ongoing opportunities to help people do their jobs well. I didn't know that was what I wanted to do, but I knew two things. I liked helping people, and I liked helping people through transitions. And so when I started doing my PhD work, I naturally gravitated towards wanting to help first-generation college students as a topic, but then how do we help first-generation college students become mobile and go upward in terms of access, in terms of opportunities? And it was through not only the research that I was doing with first-gen students, but also learning a little bit more about myself that I came to realize that my passion interests were around helping others um, get to where they want to go and also creating opportunities for them. That's good. Um, I think, I don't know if I ever asked myself like one solid question that helped me, but I think I knew for myself that I enjoyed working with students and that's what I wanted to kind of center my work going forward in life around. Um, and I think that also leads into our next um, area. Once you know what you want to do and you know that you have a knack for it, the best thing you can do for yourself is find a mentor. Um, and sometimes when we go into our jobs, we we might make the assumption that our boss or our supervisor could be a good mentor for us because they're probably the next step above us since they supervise us, but that's not always the case. Um, finding a mentor is a process. Um, it's when you wanna be like very picky about and it's like kind of hard like when you're like I'm looking for a mentor like shouldn't I just be grateful someone wants to work with me and kind of like no because you want to make sure that the person <laughs> that's mentoring you is actually invested in you I know for me um, I'd want to make sure that they shared some of the identities of me I think that'd be easier for us to build a, a relationship because a mentor should be someone you have a personal relationship with and they're personally invested in you. And they should also be someone that is invested in your career path and your career trajectory and either has done things that you want to do or who has access to people that can help you get other places. And they're willing to share that access and they're willing to share that knowledge and that resource. Um, this will be someone that you build a very close bond with and so you want to make sure that you're picking someone that would want to walk through you walk with you throughout life whether you're in the department or whether you're at another institution another company or in another department mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and you shared you shared this a little bit already Erica but it's okay to recognize that your, your supervisor really doesn't doesn't need to be the mem mentor that you're looking for and sometimes when we have supervisors who really want to invest in people, we have to remember mentorship is around consent. So if you are not looking for that supervisor to become your mentor, that is okay. But find someone who, as Erica just shared, can fulfill those needs. And mm -hmm. it, it takes a minute, right? So if you send someone an email, they're not going to just reply back and say, yes, I'm, I'm happy to be your mentor. You're going to have to get to know them. and do your homework and understand what they're doing in that field. But with investment and time and energy, what will grow is hopefully a garden of individuals that can support you. That's a nice question. It's a really nice analogy. Thanks. So we just talked about 
three of the social tips to help you successful in the workplace for transition. The first one is informational interviews. The second one is establish your, establishing yourself as a knowledgeable voice. And the third one is identifying a mentor. Now we're gonna shift gears to talk about what are those tips culturally that will help you for your transition in your next opportunity or in your current workplace. And the first one's being a sponge. And when me and Erica wrote this line, we were thinking about how does an individual soak up the knowledge around them? And as you're learning a new place, or even if you're in a current existing space, people around you come with experiences. Buildings have personalities, a spirit, and history. <laughs> Erica's looking at me like I'm crazy. And I say all that because it's important, no matter where you are right now, for you to gather as much information and knowledge around you. Not only physically where you are, may that be um, within your unit, but then also what's happening around the world. So working in housing residence life and in student affairs, COVID-19 has impacted every fabric of what is higher education. But not just COVID, because we're in this environment right now, think about the field that you're interested in, conduct, student involvement, professional development and training, curriculum. There are not only articles out there that people are continuously writing to understand student, student affairs and higher education as a field, but also practitioner guides. And it's your role as an individual who's interested in this environment to learn as much as you can. So be a sponge. Learn not only from the people around you, but what the academic and the literature are saying about that topic and field. Uh, me and Christian would often be in meetings and Christian would always come to the meetings he would unpack his backpack and set himself up as if he was sitting at his own personal desk every time but the thing that used to get me about Christian in these meetings and his reference to being a sponge is that he'd always be taking notes and sometimes we'd be in these meetings where I'm telling you nothing of substance would be said and Christian would be consistently writing and I don't think Christian remembers this but one day after a meeting I was like oh my gosh Christian you're always taking notes I totally want to be like you he said sometimes I'm just doodling <laughs> I was like you know what that makes sense yeah it does those were for the meetings that were not as informative, where they were all about us just listening and nothing was being accomplished. Those meetings is what I was doing. He had the same level of intensity and the same level of dedication every single time. So I just always assumed that, wow, there are things going on here that I should be writing down and I'm just not doing it. Um, but yeah. Pro tip, always have a notebook. One, because you never know what people are going to say. But two, it makes you look really studious and like you're really into it. <laughs> I didn't make that up. That's real. I want to take that as a compliment. Yeah. Thank you so much, Erica. I appreciate you. The next one that we have is know how your department and your unit functions. Like this one is like key. When I first got to my department now, um, within the first couple of weeks there, I kind of knew, which is not funny. <laughs> I kind of knew that it was going to be a struggle for me to understand things just by the way in which people processed it. The main one being that some of the people in the department had been there for so long, they kind of had their own rhythm and their mm -hmm. own energy around mm -hmm. doing things. And that was a little bit hard to break into because it seemed like they were a family functioning as a department instead of a department that also happened to be a family. And so learning how to, your department does things, how it functions, who to talk to, like how you get things done, how things get passed through, 
took some time for me, like knowing who were the change agents in the department, who people looked to when they wanted to advance a policy, when they wanted to push a program or an initiative. It's very important. You also want to understand how long it takes for people to process things, how long it takes for people to respond to emails and the company culture surrounding just like communication. Um, that'll definitely help you transition. Um, and I guess like not only transition, but not feel like you're either bombarding people with questions or make you feel like you're not out of the loop and out of the know. Uh, those things will definitely make you feel like you're a part of the company mm -hmm. culture. Yeah, well said, Erica. And I think connecting this back to social, just for a quick second, if you're doing informational interviews within your department, this sh should then go eye to eye together, right? So as you're doing informational interviews with folks in your department, learning more about the culture, you should, in theory, be getting some context to how your department's functioning. And the reason why understanding that is very important in terms of culture is you also want to save your time and energy, right? So if there's a process that's a lot quicker than the way I'm doing it right now, I want to know that so I can save my energy and devote it to other things. Yeah. And that's just one small example. But if you are better understanding how your department works and how it functions, the better you're off for success. Yeah. And that leads into our next thing. Understanding how your department functions, understanding how your department speaks. Mm. Once again, when I joined this department, in my first couple of meetings, I was super lost because people were like, yeah, and then when it comes to KOSs and LESs, this is what we're going to do. And I'm looking like, does anyone here? Am I the only one confused? Like, it would be meetings and there would be like 10 acronyms in one sentence. In one, at one point, I had to be like, excuse me, I'm not trying to be a bother, but I'm new here and I have no idea what's going on. Could we probably like take these acronyms and just spell them out for like the first couple of meetings and people were like oh my gosh of course you don't know what we're talking about of course we'll just say them all out loud <laughs> and like i say that to say that one you do want to learn the language of your department but it's also okay as a new person to go in there and remind people that you are new and while you are open to learning the language that you'd appreciate if people met you where you are and also broke down down those acronyms and that's where having a notebook comes in handy because you can write it down mm -hmm. but also remember to advocate for yourself and use your voice in these spaces in these meetings so you can understand more about what's being said also ask your department if they have like a sheet oh my gosh when i got to the department christian suero sent me a pdf that had like a list of some of our acronyms and what they meant and what they were used for and hopefully you have someone as kind and as sharing as christian suero in your department but if you don't just make your own and if you can create a pdf guide and pass it on to other people yeah acronyms will definitely kick your butt if you don't know what people are saying but also just general language so working in higher education i hate this dichotomy but it just exists it's the academic affairs so um, faculty researchers and then the student and then the practitioners right and it's important when you're if your work it ever bleeds into the two just being aware of how um how people are communicating with one another, right? So if I'm talking about curriculum in one space, let's use the academic space, they're probably expecting something a little bit different than what I'm talking about in the student affairs practitioner space. And so just making sure that when you're talking about language, you're being aware of what your stakeholders are, what they understand 
with keywords and how you're leveraging those in those spaces. All right, so our next section is economic. And when I moved to DC, I came here with about two suitcases, one with clothes, one with shoes, three Kmart bags, and my cat. And at that point in time, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't walking around with a lot of stuff. I really was trying to live my life out of one suitcase, but even that mm-hmm. was just too admirable for me at the time. Mm-hmm. I did send my cat back to the Bronx though, because when I got to my apartment, they didn't write up his pet lease. That's not extra, but hey, throw that in there in case you want to come to DC with a pet. Anyway, the whole point for me at that time was to practice minimalism and just downsize, only having basic things that I needed. At the time, coming to DC for grad school was a huge cost. And it was one I felt like was worth investing in because I went to undergrad basically for free. I only had like one loan for undergrad. It was less, it, it really wasn't a lot of money and I was already paying it off. And so I decided that grad school would be where I took out most of my loans. Now looking back on that, I'm happy that I came to DC because I feel like I did a lot of growing here. Um, I learned a lot of things about where I want to go in my career. I've gained a lot of skills since being here, but I would have taken into consideration more of the costs that I paid and probably tried to find a program that paid for my master's instead of me having to pay for it on my own. And practicing minimalism at the time, especially because I was using a loan to help pay for my housing, helped me because I cut down clothing costs, I cut down um, decor costs, I was making sure that I took the metro instead of like taking Ubers, I walked a lot of places, I didn't eat out as much um, because we had a kitchen in the apartment luckily you know some places don't got a kitchen they don't even have a real stove but luckily we had all of things and I liked cooking and so finding any way you can to limit costs is like super helpful if you can live closer to your job you could live closer um, you could live closer to your job if you could live closer to like a transit place if you can have a roommate I had a roommate as well splitting rent will help you um, if you can downsize and ask yourself do you really need this if you want to do the Marie Kondo method of like finding what you need in your apartment if you can learn how to DIY things instead of buying it if you can learn to be more sustainable Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and when you work in higher ed they're always giving out free stuff and so listen free things are some of the best things not always but for the most part because who doesn't like free stuff Um, if you can get like free reusable bags um, if you can get like free handouts, sometimes they give out free toiletries. I know at our school we give out free kitchen wear. Um, just finding things that you can get because you remember like this is likely going to be your first job. No one's expecting for you to have it all together. You just need the bare minimum to survive. Um, ask yourself, do I really need this $1,000 sofa? Am I going to like this aesthetic moving forward? And I'm so sorry to just cut you off for a second, Erica. I also came to DC on a Greyhound. Well, I don't know if we came on a Greyhound, but I had a suitcase, (laughs) a suitcase. So I feel you on that. And when we're thinking, you mentioned this too, but when we're thinking about cutting costs, it really comes down to understanding what are the wants and the needs. Right? What do I need to live the best life that I can? And when I mean that, I mean that as a minimalist um, versus the things that I want. And it's not bad to want things, but recognizing money don't, doesn't grow on trees, as they say. So just being aware of that. So thank you so much, Erica. 
And that kind of goes into our next two points. So I'm going to be a little bit fluid with this. The next topic is understanding your benefits. So while you are employed with a department, an institution, an organization, hopefully there's an HR rep. And HR stands for, because of acronyms, human resources. Hopefully they answer their emails. <laughs> Hopefully they answer their emails. If not, they should have a number where you can call them. And take, if you haven't already, take a moment to understand what does your benefits truly mean. And I say the word truly because oftentimes than not, I've seen many people come through our doors just signing their names, Xing the places where they need to X and initialing. Mm-hmm. And a, w- a month later goes by and I asked someone this question. I was like, oh, how, how do you feel about your retirement package? And they said, I don't know. I hope that I just have enough money when I retire. Don't know what package I selected. That is terrifying. <laughs> terrifying in a sense that when you are given the opportunity to have benefits, like a retirement plan that matches, um, a waiver that covers your tuition credits, it's important for you to really understand what opportunities can help you cut costs in the long run, but also that you're awarded to for being an employee. So make sure you take the time to really understand your benefit package because it can save save nickels and dimes here. Um, The one benefit package that I really appreciate is our commuter's choice package, Mm -hmm. which allows us to um, commute from our homes to campus. I think that's actually my favorite program. For me to get to work from where I live, every day cost me $6 in the metro, one way. So if I was going two ways, that'd be $12. Absolutely not. It's crazy. Which is cheaper than Uber though. Yeah. Oh yeah, an Uber <laughs> would have cost me probably $50. Hot mess express. Yeah. But yeah, and then that goes into our next topic of like saving, like cutting costs to like save money. Make sure out of every paycheck you get, the first person you pay is yourself. Even if it's just 50 or $100, that adds up, especially if you're getting paid bi-weekly. If you could do $100, that's 200 a month. If you could do $50, that's 100 a month. Um, and that'll help you at least create a savings or like a buffer for like an emergency fund or just start saving for like different things. If you want to have, let's say, a bank account for a trip or a bank account for things that you use to like treat yourself. Like having all these different accounts will help you save and like budget your money. And even if that means just going back to a good old spreadsheet, that helps have one in Excel. They have like tons of like Excel documents or Excel templates online for you to choose from. You can follow like budgeters on Instagram. I follow a few. They're definitely helpful. They give out webinars. You can be on their email marketing list where they give out tips and tricks at least five times a week because you know they email you every day. <laughs> like there, um, there are many things that you can do and many resources online where you can find like even like a financial advisor. It's never too early to have someone start coaching you through your finances and helping you come up with a plan that specifically works for you. Mm-hmm. Whether that be looking at retirement plans like Christian mentioned earlier or investment plans or just like life insurance. Like these are all things you have to take, start taking into consideration mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. You know, adulting 101 means planning for today but also planning for the future mm-hmm. and what that looks like financially yeah and so when i was in a conference a presenter who was a dean and i was asking them what's the one piece of advice that you wish you could tell yourself in the past 
And this individual said, listen, me listening. (laughs) This is hopefully the poorest you'll ever be. Yeah. Start saving now. And at first I was like, the poorest I'm ever going to be. But I I understood what they meant, right? Like if, Mm -hmm. let's say, knock on wood, you know, I don't have any shortcomings and I have a job full time and I keep moving up the ladder. In theory, yeah, this is going to be one of those moments where my paycheck will be at the lower end. If I start saving now, that should be a little bit easier because I know how to live off minimal things, right? Uh, At this lifestyle that I have right now. As I move up, if I still continue to have that behavior, behavior meaning that I'm not going to go out and buy everything that I want to buy just because I have that nice paycheck, but still live at a minimal cost, then I'm doing well, right? Yeah, somebody broke it down to me like, it's when I was making like a stipend when I was doing AmeriCorps. And I think our stipend was probably like $500, $600 bi-weekly and I was still living at home. And the guy was basically like, Erica, learn how to live off this $600 bi-weekly for the next five years no matter how much more money you get added to this if you can live off of this you'll learn how to save money better I tried my best to listen as closely I didn't listen as closely as I should have but (laughs) (laughs) and I guess it's like as you start getting more expenses you realize that's that's true but it's also kind of hard like especially if you start living on your own or if you get a car if you get a vehicle like those things like will change but when it comes to like your eating habits don't start eating out every day simply because you can keep packing your lunch uh-huh. keep making your two dollar sandwiches yes. keep bringing in your 25 cent um bag of chips yes. and a, your bottle of water that you get in a pack yes pb and j's i'm not gonna say pb and j's <laughs> i'm not gonna tell you to survive off pb and j's but you should be good if you keep on packing your own lunch because buying lunch every day scam Mm -hmm. complete and total scam especially if you work on a campus and there's food there you want to eat let me tell you something if they have the benefits where you can eat for free at your campus depending on the department you work in you should totally take advantage of that Mm -hmm. yep save a lot of money like that saving and benefits they go hand in hand and i guess the final tip that wraps up this episode. Have fun! <laughs> That's my tip. Have fun and ask questions, right? Uh, so we're think- so everything from informational interviews to establishing yourself as a knowledgeable voice, identifying a mentor, absorbing knowledge, understanding how your department functions, understanding language acronyms, how to cut costs, understanding your benefits, and ultimately savings all comes from the curiosity of how do I navigate and how do I do better? Yeah. Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Our Backpack. We hope you gave me some tools that are gonna help you along your journey. See you next week. See you next week, bye.